Today's Your Stories is brought to you by Basecamp. When you use Basecamp to run projects, people know what to do, people know where things are, and you stay on top of everything all the time. Thanks, Basecamp! Your Stories is a wonderful opportunity to share all the highs and lows of being a nerd. You know that hobby you have that you don't talk to anyone about? It's a secret you don't like to share because it might make you feel weird. Maybe you're into something different. Uh, Comic books, fantasy football, push-ups. Your Stories, to me, has been this really kind and welcoming space where people just have the guts to be really honest and they share their voices and their stories with everyone there, no questions asked. Uh, I've heard stories about all those things. Uh, maybe not not a lot of push-ups. I maybe haven't heard a lot of stories about push-ups. The Nerdalogs is group therapy meets Toastmasters. I know there's always a place where my odd thoughts and unusual habits will be welcomed and championed in a warm, supportive environment by other nerds just like me. And what's fun is you'll see people in the audience one month, and then all of a sudden they uh, go up and tell their story. So your story becomes their story, and their story is your story, and then it's our story, and then it's a podcast, so it's everybody's story, and then you've shared it, and gosh, that's great, huh? And even if you don't think you're a nerd, you probably are. It's easily the most Midwestern thing I've ever been a part of. Hey everyone, I'm Eric Arno, and this is part two of the Nerdalogs Presents Your Stories podcast celebrating the birthday of our dear Dwight Hassler. Uh, Dwight put together this show entirely on his own, which means he invited the storytellers, picked the songs, and gave us one hell of a night. Uh, this week, enjoy stories from Shelby Mongan, Kevin Reeder, Henry Birdseye, and myself, plus music from me, Dwight, Jim Snedeker, and Claire Friedman. Uh, so May is just about over, and with that, so ends a tremendously long run of shows for the Nerdalogs. Thank you so much to everyone who came out to one of our four Your Stories and or four performances of Attend the Tale of Danny Tanner this past month. We had a blast doing all of it. Uh, we have three more Your Stories planned for June. Uh, no more Danny Tanners at the moment. Uh, but our first Your Stories is Wednesday, June 8th at the Chicago Design Museum as part of a Chicago Design Week celebration. Uh, you can find the link to that show on the podcast page for this episode. It's going to be really, really great, as anyone who's seen our collaborations with Tanner at the museum know. Uh, so don't miss that one. Uh, any non-Chicago folks, the nerds will be traveling to Denver for the Denver Comic-Con June 17th through 19th. Uh, we'll be running a panel on game development, selling fisticuffs, which as you know is our game, and doing a show at Voodoo Comedy Playhouse. If you'll be at the con, come find us and say hello. We would really appreciate that. Um, before we get into this episode, I'd like to again thank our sponsors for the week, Basecamp, and of course I'd like to thank the whole Chicago Podcast Co-op for their support. Uh, I'd also like to thank our Patreon supporters for their generous donations. If you'd like to help the Nerdalogs continue to make cool things, head on over to patreon.com slash nerdalogs and check out what we're offering. Uh, anything you can give helps, and we really appreciate everything you do for us. But what we most appreciate is you listening to our shows, so please enjoy this episode. Uh, this next song I so chose for Jim because he's got uh, he's got a very soulful. Let's hold voice. on. Let's hold on there. Okay. Let's hold up. Because earlier Dwight said that he has he has some I had some tops earlier. Uh, no, he had a gallon. He had a gallon. Yeah, a gal- of tater you don't tots. Measure tots in gallons. I told you. I told him if you cut the top off of a milk gallon, and. And dumped all his tater tots in it would fill it a little bit no, higher. No, it would not fill. And corn. I like corn. Corn's all right. You know, there you go. It's not so perplexing. <laughs> yellow sugar. So D- Dwight asked me to play this song, and it just so happened that I had played it at an open mic. The week before, which was cool, because I didn't have to do shit. <laughs> I already knew this song, which means I'm going to fuck it up right now. Excellent. You ready? Yeah. You ready? Let's do this. <laughs> My friends Feel it's there a point to do to you 
Until you use me up Yeah, until you use me up Sometimes Yeah, it's true, you really do abuse me You get me in a crowd of high-class people Good being used Oh, you just keep on using me Yeah Until you use me up Until you use me up You're talking about you using people Yeah, it all depends on what you do I know you don't mind you so I sure am using you to do the things you do. Oh, oh, what did you just do? It's rough. My fingernail ripped off right in the middle there. Oh, Uh, so years ago, uh, when Eric and I were in a uh, full-on cover band, we take played this cover. take cover. Uh, we used we played this graduation party, and um, afterward we were packing up, and the family comes over. They're rich white people, so they were just like, you know, uh, would you guys be? Would you stick around and maybe play some more music? Uh, my drummer and my uh, my lead guitarist were very much not into that, like, fuck it, we're going home. But Eric and I were just like, yeah, let's fucking do it. Let's play some more. And uh, they asked us to play this song, and uh, Eric played it so wonderfully and sang it so beautifully that uh, this was the song I chose for him. It's called Mrs. Potter's Lullaby. Thanks, Dwight. So uh, two, two quick intros to this. The first one, so uh, about a month ago, me and Chris Crotwell went to see Jim's uh, reunion with, uh, with his Metallica cover band, uh, Blacken. And so that's Jim. And so the opening band was like a bunch of like 40-something monster. dudes. They were monster, they were called. And they were all built like the super fans from SNL, like all like grossly out of shape. But they, were, they fucking rocked. And like in the, they're they're playing like this Pink Floyd jam. They're playing "Run Like Hell" from the wall. And Chris turns to me in the middle of this song and he goes, "Eric, 
if they close with round here by the counting crows, wouldn't you just blow your dick off? <laughs> My dick remains. My dick remains, but... Um, also, man, I, I think this might be an age thing. I'm, I'm on the older side of the room. I might be right under right under Mike here as far as age. Younger people than me have told me that they think of the Counting Crows as a bro band. Yeah. And Okay, no, you're all wrong, and that breaks my heart. And I'm going to tell you why. You're all wrong. This is a song about... Like, Adam Durst is like the... These, Almost, he's like the bad side of being a nerd. This is a song about watching movies and being like, shit, I have no love in my life. I'm going to fall in love with this woman on a screen who I've never met. And to, like, a 14-year-old who couldn't talk to women at all, like, hearing this in his room was like, oh, my God, like, Adam Duritt speaks for me. I don't know how you can get any more nerdy than this band. They are not a bro band. Adam Duritt is the saddest motherfucker on the planet. Just, just because some bros like to get drunk and sing Mr. Jones, that doesn't mean they get to claim this band. <laughs> Bravo. And fuck all you young people who think otherwise. Anyway, one, two, one, two, three, four. Well, I woke up in mid-afternoon Cause that's when it all hurts the most A dream I never know
that cut just a little too deep Hey, I can bleed as well as anyone But I need someone to help me sleep They did. Uh, this next speaker uh, is the most terrible person in the world. And um, you should all boo her when she comes to the stage. And uh, I love her very much. Shelby Mongan. stoked about the theme because A, I don't have to talk about Dwight, um, and B, I get to talk about myself, which is my favorite thing to do. Um, so if I've talked to you in the last like month or so, um, you can know that in the back of my head the whole time I've only been half listening because I've been thinking about playing D&D. &D. <laughs> uh, so... 
I have been playing a lot of Dungeons and Dragons lately, like a comical amount of Dungeons and Dragons. Um, and it has sort of become this thing that's consumed all of my spare time. And I love it. And it's amazing. Um, I play with a half-elf rogue named Regal and a half-orc barbarian named Zola. They're both great. Um, and it's been a really interesting experience for me because I was a very nerdy child, as anyone who's ever heard me tell a story knows. Um, I was real weird. But D&D was not my brand of weird. They were not the kids that I hung out with. It was not something that anyone ever played in my school. And so when I came into this like post-college, post-graduate school and started playing, I felt like a total, total noob at it, which I hate. Like if I'm not immediately good at a thing, there's a pretty good chance I'm not going to keep doing the thing. It's a character flaw about me, uh, but it's a thing that's true. Um, and I was not great at this at the beginning, y'all. Like I messed so many things up. For those of you who play, like, my character sheets were a mess for ages. Everything was calculated wrong. There's so much math. I hate math so much. Um, I was terrible. But I kept playing it. I kept every week. It was, like, the highlight. It was the thing I was looking forward to doing. And I've been thinking about it a lot because I've been thinking about D&D a lot. And there are two reasons I keep coming back to it. So the first being that this is a wonderful replacement because I don't have a therapist right now. Like, this is really effective at working my shit out. There just happens to also be, like, goblins around while I'm doing it. Um, and my two characters are very, very different people. But there's a lot of things within the two of them that I'm dealing with. So with the... Bless her heart. I love this ridiculous barbarian I'm playing. She is a giant, um, green-skinned monster who is real sure she is the hottest thing in the room. <laughs> she is real convinced she read one self-help book, and by that I mean someone read it to her because she's not very good at reading, <clears throat> and is convinced she is the shit. Um, but she's also afraid of a lot of things. She's running from a past. She's running from what she feels like she's fated to be. She's terrified of magic, which is ironic because her best friend is a magic user. Um, but she is this sort of blind confidence that I don't get. <laughs> it's not how I am, but I get to, when I play with her, I get to be assured that I am the shit. And anyone that disagrees with me is going to get an axe to the face. And that's a beautiful experience for someone who is crippled with self-doubt and self-conscious all the time. It's a wonderful practice in that. And the other character, the, this druid is running from more family problems <laughs> and a place where she doesn't feel like she belongs, where she feels uncomfortable everywhere she is, but she's driven by doing good. Like she wants, she hates evil, she does the good stuff, it's pretty pretty cut and dry alignment wise there but she despite all of her baggage is driven to do the best thing that she can which I think is more me on a good day um, and that's been really an interesting other experience to play through the other thing that keeps me coming back though aside from the free, ther or free therapy um, is that <clears throat> I'm actually not as in inexperienced in this as I, th I thought I was before. Um, sure, I'm terrible at rolling dice consistently. I'm a really embarrassingly bad at dice. Um, I can't add worth shit. Um, <laughs> I forget rules constantly. Um, but uh, I have been doing this sort of weird collaborative storytelling thing for a really long time. What um, a story I told, which you can go onto the Nerdalogs website into their story archive and listen to my stories there. Um, <laughs> is a uh, I used to spend a lot of time on the Neopets website uh, on the role playing message boards. <laughs> no, there were not dragons. Yes, there were characters from Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> But it was really similar, right? Because I was sitting in front of a computer talking to other people I didn't know, building a story together, uh, all of us having this goal of an interesting story together, all of us having this goal of exploring characters together. Um, and I was, like, I was 
comically deeply involved with that for a very long time. Um, I used to, I did improv in college because I live in Chicago and of course I did. Um, I have been doing this sort of collaborative work for a really long time and that narrative that sucks me in is what is engrossing to me. That I get a couple hours every week where I get to stop being Shelby, stop working at my corporate job and commuting back to my house and having to plan grocery trips and things. Um, and I get to fight evil and <laughs> adventure and work with people. I never know where things are going because I'm not the one writing the story. We all are. Um, and it's been really wonderful to experience that and sit through it. Um, I don't know how long this obsession will last. My obsessions tend to wane as new shiny things passed by. Um, but I think that despite not having been a kid that grew up uh, worshipping the player's manual, uh, I really do think that it's something I'm going to stick with for a long time. Um, it's feeding me on this deeper level as a person, which is not what I expected when I started playing Dungeons & Dragons. Um, plus, getting a critical hit is pretty great. <laughs> Thank you, guys. And fuck you, Dwight! Uh, yeah. <laughs> D&D can be therapeutic, man. Uh, so the this next guy um, hasn't told a story in a long time. He's been on like the R Stories podcast where they, they do those, but uh, you know he hasn't told like a story here at Your Stories in a very long time. And uh, uh, just like uh, Geiger and I wanted him to come back and do it. Um, and thankfully he said yes. He was like, why? But he's like, because I love the way you tell a story. So uh, ladies and gentlemen, Kevin Reeder. I always feel so weird about telling stories at the because we started that this whole night for other people to share their stories, and it always felt so selfish. But you, how do you say no to Dwight, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, like, no! <laughs> I, I gotta take some lessons, man. I gotta take some lessons. So I'm, I'm becoming, I guess, the... Uh, our prop comic here. I don't know what's going on. Today. Yeah, I know. Great for a podcast, right? Um, very good. Very good. Very good. Um, it's it's been an incredible journey, Dwight. Uh, we started off in uh, in a shitty storefront theater uh, over at Montrose, and now we're in a, a garage. <laughs> Couldn't have done it without you, Dwight. Don't know how we got here. <laughs> Anyway, uh, so my story doesn't have a clear beginning, middle, or end. It's a, <laughs> like everything I say, um, uh, it's a collection of thoughts, swept up cobwebs and dust bunnies from the corners of my mind, pulled together in a, into a dustpan and shook out in front of you. So how much do I weigh? Not literally, but figuratively. Also, not figuratively, but literally. <laughs> How much does my life weigh? And how much does my psyche weigh? See, I want to get rid of things. Drop some weight. Focus on the things that bring me joy. Drop the stuff that I just have lying around. I'm trying to find the strength to throw useless things out. Sometimes I need to unload memories or emotions, physical trauma, fear, and also just stuff. So, stuff like... Uh, this is a racquetball racket. I haven't played racquetball but one time when I was 16. <laughs> I've had this for 17 years. Here you go. Happy birthday, Dwight. <laughs> May you keep it for 17 more years. All right. I used to be a t-shirt fiend. I carried memories in t-shirts. They've signified something or someone, some time in my life that I wanted to remember. They felt like living photographs that I could wear. About a year ago, I purged a lot of them. I took a photo of each one before I threw them away. I had to remember them somewhere, somehow, somewhere. 37 shirts. 5.5 ounces per shirt. Guys, I lost 13 pounds. Do I need the, apart do I need the keys from my apartment in grad school? What if I forgot something when I moved out eight years ago? Exactly. 
I carry a bag with me everywhere I go. I'm like some sort of urban hipster prepper. I've got a bottle of water, I've got an iPhone charger, I've got a chapstick, I've got a pen, I've got a notepad, I've got a towel, I've got extra socks, I've got an extra shirt, and I've got a phone wire from a modem I no longer use. Happy birthday twice. (laughs) You're going to get so much shit, buddy. Maybe I carry these things because I live in a city and I don't know if I'm going to have enough time to get home before I need to go to my, the next thing that I've got planned. And maybe it's because I used to work as an archaeologist and I would find myself in the middle of a cornfield really wishing I had a bandana or a band-aid or a bandana. When I was in grad school and working on my thesis, I carried a backpack. Inside were 16 books about how, about how uh, theater could be used as an agent to bring on social change. And I carried these 16 books around with me every day for this semester, just in case I had an extra five minutes. So, uh, new creative community, the art of cultural development. Dwight! For you, buddy. A lot of great stuff in there. I don't think I'm a hoarder, but I hang on to things longer than I should. I was raised a frugal child, not destitute, but ate my fair share of hamburger helper and drank stirring your own sugar Kool-Aid. Hell yeah, that's good stuff. So whatever amount of room I have had available to me, I have felt the need to fill it. I like feeling full. Maybe it makes me feel complete or whole, not without, I'm not sure. But I want to shed peel off the extra layers of the onion that are no longer important or necessary. Two things I have way too much of, socks and underwear. It's Um, true. uh, No, I didn't do that. (laughs) I thought about it, but I didn't. And this has to be linked to something dumb from my childhood, probably that frugal part. And I hate paying for laundry. In college, when I ran out of clean socks and underwear, I knew it was time to go home for a visit. And somewhere along the way, they just stuck. I'll do an entire load of laundry that is just socks and underwear. I have at least a month's supply of both. (laughs) Urban hipster prepper. And I think there are actually some preppers in my family, and those genetic traits have been passed down to me. And I have to actively fight against that. Um, I'm going to kind of go on an emotional diatribe here. So my uh, paternal grandfather died when I was in college. uh, And he wasn't a hoarder per se, but he was really damn close. Sort of a modern-day fur trapper, figuratively and literally. He bought in bulk, sought out things that were a good deal, a grizzled, grisly German-Irish hothead, and a drunk, and an emotionally and physically abusive father. Uh, I think he was, in some part, a product of the world that he grew up in. I've heard stories about his mother slapping him around and putting cigarettes out on him. So I think if you put a dog in a cage and fuck with it, it's bound to come out a little bit nasty. And so he bought things to keep himself prepared and safe, like he was searching for a feeling of control. When he died, my family gathered to clean out his home in Aurora, Illinois. It was weird and hard and emotional and very cathartic for everyone that was there. There was a lot of pain that was harbored in his home. We had to rent a construction dumper. Uh, dumper. <laughs> Do I? Uh, <laughs> we had to rent a construction dumpster, a really big one. And, he, and my grandfather, he had odd things. Owl lamps, deer antlers, boar heads. Uh, I think we counted 16 or 17 large-sized coolers. If Grandpa went fishing and he needed more room to bring home his catch, he'd buy another cooler. (laughs) Also soap. The guy had a lot of bar soap. I took one of the coolers when we were cleaning out his home and I filled it with bar soap. I brought that cooler with me to college (laughs) and I didn't have to buy soap for two years. (laughs) It's a lot of fucking soap, guys. So I live in Chicago in a small one-bedroom condo and I'm out of room and I want to drop weight but I hate waste and I want to use every part of the buffalo. Uh, what if I need this Dixie Stampede mug full of uh, <laughs> uh, keychains? I'm not going to, but Dwight might. 
Happy birthday, Dwight. Uh, and doing comedy doesn't make it any better. I've combed through my home and I've found a couple of things that I've kept over the years for comedy. Things that I have never used. Uh, here's one. Halloween dance party music. From the year 2000. There are people in this room that I've done dozens and dozens of comedy shows with. Did you know I owned this? Did we ever use it? <laughs> Will we ever use it? No. No. <laughs> no, no, no. Here you go, Dwight. Right. I'm looking forward to a spooky Halloween at your house. <laughs> I've, I've never even listened to it, which is the saddest thing. Someday, someone is going to have to rent a dumpster and throw out all of my stuff. The things that meant something to me. The things that I cherished. The things that won't make sense to anyone else. So to my future grandchild, here is a cooler full of bar soap. Use it well. I wasn't clever enough to get a whole thing of bar soap. Is Henry in the room? Yeah. There he is. Yeah, so uh, Henry is one of uh, the newer storytellers when we moved into this space. Uh, he works here at the Cards office. And uh, he, I, I, when he tells a story, it's, it's just the most genuine thing you can get. He's just a very genuine person, and I love hearing him tell a story. Uh, Henry Birdseye. Thanks for having me. Oh, boy. Uh, good stories tonight. Uh, Dwight, thank you for having me. I, I guess I didn't consider myself a storyteller until last year when I started doing your stories. And now I guess I take a lot of pride in that, and it feels good. Um, so if the theme is, is your story, then I guess um, I guess if I had to think, like, who am I? I am open to new experiences. I, um, I like meeting new people. Um, typically in like a single dating guy sense, but I like meeting new people in general too. And I, I tend to trust people to a fault. And so if I had to kind of wrap that up in a story, um, uh, I, it's another stupid single dating guy story. So, um, so a while ago, a Lyft driver was taking me to a date and it was a first date. And she goes, oh, do you have any like and then like a crazy date to talk about. And I was like, no, I'm a straight guy. I go out with women. They're generally very nice and, and everything goes smoothly. In worst case scenario, there's no connection. And I go home and I just kind of shrug it off and it's not a big deal. And she goes, oh, one time I went on a double date and the other couple was having a great time. And then my date, when he got up to use the bathroom, on his way to the bathroom, he licked my back. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> like, Oh, is this what it's like when things get bad or weird? And I didn't have a response to that kind of question until last December. Uh, six months ago, uh, it was December and it was cold and I was lonely. I wasn't really seeing anyone and it was so fucking cold outside. And it was just, I was not in a good place. And I knew that Christmas was coming and I was going to go home for the holidays and see my family and just be like, yes, I don't, you're right. I don't have anyone. I'm just, I'm still out there looking and no one feels like home. And oh boy, we're having Turkey. This is going to be, whatever, it's fine. Uh, so, uh, and then, and then I knew New Year's was coming and I didn't have a New Year's date. And I was just like, great. I'm just going to see all my friends and they're going to have their plus ones and they're going to kiss people and the ball drops and yada, yada. That's Cool, I'll put lipstick on my hand, kiss my hand, whatever. Happy New Year, I'm alone. So um, that, is, that is what I had prepared myself for. And then uh, on one of the, the dating apps that I was using, um, a very uh, uh, pretty lady messaged me. And I was like, oh, she contacted me first. And she was, there's a kind of beauty that, that men can experience. At least I'm just speaking for straight dudes here. But like you see a lady and she's so pretty, you're like a little angry. Like you can't explain. You're just like, ha! How are you so pretty? And you, it's, it's, I guess like women don't experience this, but when you're a dude, you're just like, fuck, how do you exist? And this type of lady messaged me, and I was like, oh, this is great. And her name was, we'll, we'll just call her Karen. And, um, and so Karen messaged me, and we got to talking. And uh, I was so excited that in this shitty, dark, cold weather, a lady was interested in talking to me. And we talked uh, over text for like 
a week and a half, and it was going pretty good, and she let me make my weird jokes, but occasionally she would chime in on the weird jokes and take it to, like, a dark or mean place, and I wouldn't respond because I didn't know how to yes-and her terribleness. Um, (laughs) But I figured, fine, maybe she's just a little, like, this is just her thing, and then... So I wouldn't respond to one of her dark jokes, and then like a, and then like a half hour would pass, and she'd reply, "I was kidding." I'd say, "Okay, that's sure. I'm sorry. I just I was in a meeting or something. I don't know. I would lie." And so we finally meet up on a Monday night, and we're just gonna get like uh, dinner and drinks, and it's a Monday night, and I get to the bar first, and I text her. I say, uh, "I'm here," and she replies, "Be there in 25 minutes." And I think, fuck, really? 25 minutes? Jesus Christ. Like, 25 minutes is a calculation. If she said 30 minutes, 40 minutes, an hour, she's fucking with me. Clearly, that's some sort of weird joke. But 25 minutes is someone doing math. Someone saying, well, I have to, I have to dry my hair, and then I have to put clothes on, then I have, to, I have to go hop in a cab, and I know it takes this long to get there. 25 minutes seems so calculated that I'm just like, fuck, I'm going to sit here at this bar, and I'm going to be the guy that drinks water by himself, and the waiter's going to feel bad for me, and what a fucking bummer, and then she got there two minutes later, and and, uh, I said, um, so like 20, she's like, I was joking, I was like, all right, well, you you joke a little weird, Uh, and Oh, it gets so much worse. Okay, so we get to chatting, and um, I'm telling her about my life in the previous month at, uh, at work. I work for Cards Against Humanity, and we did a very strange Black Friday prank where uh, for, you know, Black Friday is a day in which you should be buying nothing, and we would sell you nothing for $5. And so people could just give us $5 and get nothing in return. And I didn't know this was going to happen, but the, 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 the people high up at the company decided, well, we're just going to take whatever money we raise on Black Friday and just give it to the employees. And so that meant on Black Friday at 4 p.m., I was told by my boss, hey, you need to figure out what you're going to do with the three or $4,000 we're going to give you. And so I had to figure that out. And I set aside some money. I got my mama used car and I just got some stuff. And then I set aside my, my coworker, Lauren, set aside some money to go to Schwa, which is a very nice restaurant in Chicago. And I was like, that's a great idea. I'm going to copy Lauren. That fucking rules. And then when, and then all the things we were going to spend our money on ended up on the internet. And uh, NPR's Peter Sagal sent Lauren a reply on Twitter saying, Lauren, I'll go, to, I'll go to schwa with you. And Lauren's like, I'm going with my boyfriend. I don't know what to say to you, Peter Sagal. And she said nothing back. And I was telling Karen this. I'm like, well, um, fuck, I'd go to schwa with Peter Sagal. That would be so great. Going to schwa with NPR's Peter Sagal, that would be so exciting. And Karen says, I don't know who that is. And I was like, well, like, Peter Sagal, I'm like, wait, wait, don't tell me. She's like, I don't know what that is. I'm like, well, what about, like, NPR? He's on NPR. And she goes, I don't know what NPR is. I'm like, well, this is a problem. Uh, <laughs> not that I want to, like, go to the farmer's market with her and have something to talk about. But I was like, I just, I expected someone to know what NPR is. And to be a 27-year-old woman and not know what NPR is, I'm like, this is kind of a red flag. Maybe she has, maybe she was in a cult. I don't know. <laughs> But I ran with it. And then I tried explaining what NPR was to her. Have you ever tried to do that? You sound like a crazy person. Like, well, it stands for National Public Radio. And, uh, and it's like a it's like public, and there's like, there's like a local one everywhere. And she's like, I, I, this is doing nothing for me. I have no idea what you're saying. I'm like, all right, moving right along. We order our food, and um, the, the, the waiter brings us our food, and we do that thing where you take your napkins and you put them on your lap. And she says very casually, she says, you know, for 25 years, I didn't use napkins. What? And I say, I beg your pardon. And she goes, I just didn't use them. Growing up, people would, people would use napkins. They'd make a mess on their hands and their face. I just didn't use napkins. I was like, what's the point? I'm just not going to make a mess. I don't need napkins. I just didn't use napkins for 25 years. What? I was like, what about like a, what about like a, like a sloppy Joe? When you have like a sla- like they're sloppy. They're sloppy Josephs. That's what you do. And, and she's like, well, here's what I do. I would wipe my hands on my face, and then I would wipe my hands on my pants. It's like, um, you're an adult woman. This is a very strange thing to hear from you. We move right along, and that's fine. Uh, we get to making conversation, I tell her. I say, well, you know, uh, you can do anything these days. You can have a cool job. I know a man who's a magician, and she leans in, and she goes... 
what kind of magic does he do? And I say, well, he's, he's on Facebook. He does, like, webcam stuff. He does sleight of hand and mentalist stuff. He'll read your mind. He does a lot of the work, a dollar and a half, whatever. And um, she goes, uh, oh, so not real magic. <laughs> I let that go. I'm like, I'm not going to ask her what we find out later. It's fine. So, and then as we're eating, I see her put her hands on her lap and I say, Amber, are you using a napkin? And she's like, yeah. I was like, all right, just, I have to ask these questions now that I know you do strange things. And then she says, um, later on, she goes, well, you know, you know, dragons are real. And I say, again, could you please clarify what that statement means? And she goes, well, you know, dragons are real. We know this. We know that dragons are real. All, like people, ancient cultures would draw drawings of lizards with wings breathing fire all over the globe. They all did this. They must have been real because people were drawing them and describing them. And we just, listen, I know, I've read the ancient texts. And I don't know what the, I don't know, that means like she has like a scroll or a very long Kindle or something. I don't know what the ancient texts are. But she insists dragons are real. Like, what about like, I ask her like, what about like uh, bones? Wouldn't we know from like, we see, like, bones, we're like, that's a dragon, but well, it's not. And so she's like, well, here's the thing. They would look just like dinosaur bones, but they, the, the wings are made of cartilage, and so they wouldn't make fossils the way dragon, like, regular bones would. So we just don't know. Also, this is what we know from the ancient text. We know that dragons would chew rocks with methane in them to get the methane out and turn that into fire. This is just what we know. I don't know who the we is here, but she's very confident that dragons are real. And I'm like, that's... That's cool, thank I'm still lonely. Like, I'm glad you're here, it's fine. So, <laughs> the, it uh, gets so much worse. So, the check comes, and I put my card down, and the waiter takes it away, and, and uh, she puts her coat on, she stands up, she goes, well, I'm going now. And I say, whoa, did I, like, offend you? Is it because I tried to explain what NPR is to you? Or because I tried to argue about dragons or something? She goes, no, I'm just going. I'm just going to go now. I'm like, well, okay, are you sure I said nothing wrong? She goes, no, I'm just going. And she's standing there in her coat. And then she takes her coat off and she sits down. She goes, just kidding. That's a, that's a weird, you're, this is strange. Your kidding is making me uncomfortable. Um, and because I'm a glutton for punishment and I'm kind of curious where this is going to go, we go to a second location. She had mentioned at one point that she enjoyed playing pool, and so I say we should go, we should go play some pool. Obviously, a second location is a great idea. I have an activity in mind. We'll play pool. We go to the Flatiron in Wicker Park, and so we go to the Flatiron. We actually don't get to play pool. It's league night, but we play like that sandy shuffleboard thing where you, you push the discs on the sand, and we're fucking horrible at it, but it gives us something to be shitty at together, and we're talking, and the date seems kind of normal. I buy the first round of drinks, when the beers are empty and the games are done, we're just sitting at this table together. And she goes, tell you what, I'm going to go buy the next round of drinks. I say, that's fantastic. And so she goes and she leaves me alone at this table for two. And it's just me in an empty chair. And while she's gone, um, a homeless man comes into the bar and makes a beeline toward me. Yeah, things are taking a turn. And she comes and he comes up to me and he goes, um, <clears throat> I'm wrestle you for a beer. And I say, what does that mean? And he says, well, arm wrestle, and then the, the loser buys the winner a beer. And I realize at this point there are two ways this can go. I can arm wrestle a homeless man and lose to a homeless man, then buy him a beer. Or I can arm wrestle a homeless man and defeat a homeless man. <laughs> like, yeah, let's really take him down a peg. And then demand he buy me a beer. I'm the champion here. Take that, the homeless. So <laughs> I just say... Can I please just, can I just buy you a beer? And he goes, that's fine, I'll have a bud. I was like, you want to, like, come with me? Because there's, like, a lady who's going to come back. He's like, no, nah, I'm good here. And he sits in Amber's seat, and I go to buy the homeless man a bud, because I have no spine. And I go, and I buy the bud, and I come back, and I, I, see, I see Karen is now back, and she's talking to the homeless man. They're having a very heated conversation. Um... I was kind of glad that she didn't, like, dismiss him and tell him to fuck off, but they're having this very serious conversation, and, and it's getting really heated by the time I get back there with the bud, and I'm like, me, there's your bud, homeless man. And they are kind of shouting at each other, and she goes, listen, you got to go. I don't know what you said. I don't know what you said, but my chest hurts. you got to go. And the homeless man says, well, I was, a, I was a drummer. I was in a satanic death metal band, and the thing about magic is that when you use it, it takes a piece of you with it. And... <laughs> So, 
what I had figured out was while I was gone, the homeless man and her started talking about magic, and somehow he had cast a spell on her, and now her chest was in serious pain, and they were now fighting about magic and yelling about magic, and, and he had cast part of a spell, and she's very upset, and I kind of just want to get my jacket and my stuff and leave, but I also kind of want to know what's happening. So they're just shouting at each other, and she says, my, my chest hurts, you need to undo this, you need to undo this right now, and he's like, I just, I was in a, that was, you know, I was in a satanic death metal, I used to be a Christian, but now I'm a Satanist, or whatever, and, and like, this is odd, so we just, we just go away from the homeless man, we grab another, I don't know why I didn't bail at this point, but we keep going, we grab another table, and, and she says, like, listen, I know, I know this sounds crazy, but, like, <sighs> I know about magic, and, and he knows about magic. Most homeless people do. <laughs> All right. Great. Uh, and I'm like, well, okay, yeah, that is, oh, I mean, I guess I see, I see your point. And then she calls him back over, and she says, listen, you need to undo this. My chest still hurts. You have to take this out of me. And he goes, all right, fine. And so he kind of holds his hand over her chest, and he, he goes, does your chest feel better now? And she goes, um, yeah. And then he walks away, and she seems a little bit relaxed. And then she's like, oh, man, I'm still, whew, I don't feel that great. i got to talk to Dave. <laughs> I say, Karen, who's, um, who's Dave? And she goes, Dave is my spiritual advisor. He's a level 33 Freemason, and I just need to talk to him. Freemasons, as I find out later, uh, level 33 is the highest they go. That's the level cap on Freemasons. Um, <laughs> Also, I think as far as conspiracies go, Freemason is not, like, that's not an interesting, like, oh, what if white people had all the power? Oh, you got it, Freemasons, how inventive. Um, so, <laughs> so I ask her, I'm like, could I, could I get you, like, you seem upset, I don't know what I can do here, can I get you, like, a, like a cab to Dave? And she goes, no. And I'm like, oh, that's the, that's the laughable part tonight, you're right, that's, that's the part we should be laughing at. And she goes... I just, whatever, he's, listen, I'm fine. And she's just texting uh, a Freemason on our date, no big deal. And then I don't know what to do, and I'm just like, well, this is strange. I guess I'm, I should go. And then she goes, hey, um, do you want to do shots? <laughs> and I say, yeah, yeah, let's do shots. And so we go. We go to the bar, and we do shots, and we drink the tall boy of PBR they give you, and we're just sitting there. And then... Suddenly we're making out like she pulls my face in and we're just making out like really seriously and she's like grabbing my head and pulling it toward hers and we're making out and then she pushes me away and she goes, no, you're disgusting, you're a disgusting pig, you sicken me. What? You're disgusting. I know, what is the correct response? And she goes, <laughs> she goes, you disgust me, you're a pig, you're disgusting. And then she pulls me back in and we're making out. And then she pushes me away and she says that stuff again. And that happens like, I don't know, three times and then we're both tired of this charade and I say, listen, Karen, um... This has been a lot, but I'm going to get going now. Do you want to come with me? And she goes, uh, yeah. No. So we, I know, I'm also here in the present. So we, we take a lift to my apartment. At which point, I know, it's fine. I'm shaking my head too. So we're taking a lift to my apartment. I don't know what kind of small talk the three of us, me, her, and the lift driver can have, but at this point I find out that Dave, the level 33 Freemason, is 70. So she was texting a 70-year-old man like it's not a big deal on our date. And then we get to my apartment and just immediately hook up. Like, up, like you would think the apocalypse was happening. This was like, you're like, oh, it's like to fuck a crazy person. It's exactly how you'd expect. It's very intense and a little bit scary. Like... <laughs> Like, I don't know, like, like holding a gun. Like, I've never held a gun. So I'm like, statistically, this will be the end of me. But in the meantime, wee. So, um, so, so, we, so we do that. And then when it's done, she's just in her underwear and she's sitting on my couch and she goes, Bring me wine and cheese and meats. I want wine and I want cheese and I want meats. And I'm like, uh, okay. I have some Gouda and some Camembert in my fridge. I was planning on eating that in my underwear by myself later, but I guess I, guess I can make you a cheese plate? 
And she's like, yeah, do that. And so I make her a cheese plate and I pour her some wine. And she's just sitting there on my couch. There's like swirling the wine and resting the cheese plate on her belly and just eating the cheese. And she goes, this cheese isn't even very good. And I think like, Amber, now my chest hurts and you cast a spell. It's called being rude. You're being very rude right now. Um, and so she eats the cheese, she drinks the wine, and, uh, and we, 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 go, we go to sleep. I guess there's nothing else to do at that point. We've had the scary sex, and she's had the cheese and wine, and we go to sleep. And, uh, uh, and she's like, I want more wine. I'm like, we're going to have some water now because we're adults. It's a Monday night, by the way. I feel like I should remind you guys. It's, I have work in the morning. Oh, boy. So... The next morning we wake up. I wake up at a very early hour. I'm like, oh, I have to, whoa, this is a very, I work in a very strict office. I obviously have to be to work at a very prompt hour. I'm like, do you want any coffee? And she just goes, it's early. I'm like, I know it's early, but can I make you a coffee before we both leave here now? And uh, she goes, I'm tired. I'm like, I know we've all had a long night of shouting and demanding things and not knowing what NPR is, but I think it's time we go. And so we go. And we take a lift. Uh, because we used a location-specific dating app, I know she kind of lives near the office, which means, like, right now, she might be within a half mile of us, which is terrifying <laughs> for me to know. That's fine. Uh, Got to live your best life. So we um, I drop her off on the way to work. I come into work, and there's it, I got there very early, and there's just one person at the coffee bar. My friend Sandy, he's working at the coffee bar, and he goes, good morning. And I say, good morning. He goes, how are you? And I tell him this entire story. And he goes, oh, my God, when did that happen? And I was like, that wrapped up about 15 minutes ago. Was like, Jesus. Uh, and then I go and I resume my day and I get a text from Karen at, I don't know, like 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And she goes, keep hearing about this NPR thing. Go, yeah, it's like national public radio. She goes, uh, learned a lot about uh, ant communities today. <laughs> Said, uh, said, is that because you were, is that because you were listening to NPR? And she just replies, yeah. And that's the last we ever spoke. <laughs> um, on the upside, I had a story to tell at New Year's, so it was a bit less lonely, which was pretty great. Uh, anyway, thank you. <laughs> To anchor the night, um, I, obviously I couldn't have anybody else but Eric come up and uh, anchor the night because, I mean, he's like the normal host. I hope I didn't screw this up so much. Uh, so, uh, ladies and gentlemen, Eric Garneau. Thank you, Dwight. Happy birthday. Man, I feel a lot like Kevin. I don't like telling stories on this show that much. I feel like I do about one a year that's good. Uh, we'll see if this one is any good or not. So I am so happy, so, so happy that Chris opened the show with a follow-up to a story he told on our uh, June 2012 podcast about family. Because what I'm about to tell is a version of a story that I told on that podcast that didn't make it because, like, the front half of the audio for that evening was totally fucked up and we could never salvage it. And Chris's story, which was amazing, I can't believe that was your first story, that was the first story that was, like, audible on that whole recording so we lost this forever and I was kind of bummed about it because I really like this story and now I'm going to uh, tell a different version of it with updates as soon as uh, Google Drive loads and I'm just remembering now that Drive doesn't work on my iPad so I do have to do it on my phone this is a generation one iPad by the way it barely does anything but my phone works totally fine so here we go yeah okay so think back with me, if you will, to the magical land of May 2012. Barack Hussein Obama was president of the United States of America. A little song called Somebody That I Used to Know, topped the charts. And some indie flick named Avengers debuted at movie theaters across the nation. In the Avengers, you may remember, a group of superpowered heroes team up to battle the machinations of Loki, a mischievous god from a plane of existence well beyond our own. Well, half god. As Loki's brother Thor explains to his heroic teammates in a throwaway line that takes probably three seconds of screen time, oh, he's adopted. This is, I guess, a pretty okay joke, especially for a guy who just learned about Earth comedy a couple franchise movies ago, from one of the stars of Two Broke Girls. But, but not everybody thought that line was funny. I know this seems crazy, 
in 2016, where no one has wild opinions about throwaway lines in movies, but a ton of people got super offended over that line. Organizations of adopted folks wrote think pieces and urged boycotts and generally tried to express their displeasure to the world about this three seconds of film that somehow implied that if you're adopted, you're evil and probably aligned with alien invaders who are gonna fuck up New York City for everybody. <laughs> now, if it sounds like I'm being flippant, I am. But I feel like in a way that's okay because here's the twist you never saw coming. I'm adopted. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. All right, now, here's the part of the serious part of me. I realize that my thoughts and feelings on being adopted aren't everybody's. I don't speak for every adopted person in the world, just myself. On the other hand, I am a little suspicious of the notion that adopted people are some part of, are part of some marginalized minority. As far as I know, there are no economic policies in place at the federal level to limit adopted people's job potential or earnings. North Carolina didn't just pass legislation allowing for the wholesale discrimination of the biologically parentless. I'm reasonably sure that what's happening in that Avenger scenario is that lots of adopted folks are projecting their own misgivings and their own uncertainties onto a frankly just average Hollywood blockbuster. Hashtag hot take, Avengers is just okay. <laughs> in that movie, people, anyway. I don't have those misgivings. Maybe that's atypical. In fact, I'm pretty sure that it is. But I've never felt bad about being adopted. I don't even remember being told that I was adopted, which I think means it didn't even register as a minor trauma with my childhood self. Or I'm repressing it all, and we'll find out years down the road. But as far as I recall, I just always kind of knew. I never felt that it diminished the love I received from the family that raised me or really gave me any kind of emotional hang-ups. Emotional hang-ups is what your adopted family is for anyway. So towards the end of my relationship with my adopted dad, he even asked me if I'd like to find my birth parents. Uh, the lawyer who handled my adoption was retiring, he told me, and if I wanted to know who they were, now would be the last easy chance I've had to do it. Now, I have adopted friends who agonized over that decision for years before taking the plunge, and I don't at all mean to minimize their emotions, but for me, the answer was an easy no. Uh, why should I care? Because the truth is, I like not knowing. I like feeling that there's a way in which my life is a blank slate, and I can do whatever I want with it, uh, outside of biological issues inherited from the people whose DNA I possess, which we can enjoy finding out about together as I age. Uh, I don't, I don't feel... <laughs> I don't feel like they have any power over me, and that's how I want it. I want to create my own life and my own family and not be beholden to theirs. So let's put that into action. Uh, a few weeks ago, my friend Marnie, who sadly is not here, I was really hoping she would be here, posted a picture on my Facebook wall of an older gentleman who, miraculously and truly, somehow looked like the exact merging of me and Dwight. Now, I know these stories aren't supposed to be about you, Dwight, but, you know, Chris already did it, so fuck it. So after some joking back and forth in the comments of that picture, I had a semi-serious realization that, you know, there's really no evidence, right in front of me anyway, that somehow this guy isn't actually our dad or uncle or something. Because the thing is, Dwight is also adopted. Neither of us know exactly where we come from. So, I mean, I grant you the odds that Marnie cracked open the biological history of two friends with a funny picture on Facebook are pretty slim. But they're not impossible. There's the tiniest percent of a percent of a percent of a chance that Dwight and I are actually brothers. Which is great because that's how I feel about him anyway. And I'd rather, I'd rather not know and have it be possible than know and have it be impossible. And that's how I feel about being adopted in general. Now if you'll excuse me, I have to go. My grandfather, Captain America, is calling. <laughs> Feel the same way, buddy. Feel the same way. We're like family. Been through some stupid shit together. <laughs> um, so I, I want to thank everybody for being here tonight. Um, uh, if you didn't speak, uh, don't think that um, I, I don't like the way you tell a story. Uh, obviously, <laughs> if, if, if I had it my way, I would have listened to everybody tell a story, and we'd be here for. Uh, a week straight just listening to everybody because I love hearing everybody's stories. That's why I love doing this. Um, years ago when Eric uh, or when uh, when Reader asked Eric like, hey, um, would you guys come and like play some songs at this thing we're doing? And um, like we like he he asked me like, would you be interested? I'm just like, of course, I'd help Kevin Reader with anything. 
Um, and I'm so happy that we said yes and we, we're stewing, still doing this years later. Uh, so our last song, um, I didn't put any thought into. I was just like, yeah, it's got a lot of people singing it. <laughs> and uh, while it was it's supposed to be like, I wanted everybody to um, have like a lead. This is sort of a lead, but it also there's, you know, I don't know. I didn't, I, again, I didn't put too much thought into it. It's just a cool song. Like, how do you not like Simon and Garfunkel? I, I want everyone to know that this is the most talking Dwight has ever done in the show, by the way. Let's give it up for Dwight. How old are you now, Dwight? Like, I'm 31. 30? Hopefully. Yeah. Hopefully? I don't know. I was left on a doorstep. I don't know how old I am. <laughs> I assume I'm 31. <laughs> Fair. Oh shit, I need something. Oh. They can't like carbon date people. Yeah, you cut their bones open and count the rings. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. yeah. right, right? yeah. medically sound, right? That's medically sound, right? part of the Chicago Podcast Co-op. If you enjoy your stories, you might also enjoy Your Chicago. Twice a month, host Stefania and Arden chat with the folks who make Chicago's legendary food, keep our streets safe, star in our shows, organize our festivals, play our unique music, and more. For more information, go to yourchicagopodcast.com. This has been a Nerdalogs production. If you'd like to help make more things like this, please visit patreon.com slash nerdalogs to donate today. And go to www.nerdalogs.com for more cool stuff. Thanks for being awesome. Thank you all. Thank you all. I am Grabbot23548X.